0: Uh, Hi everyone, this is your co-host and editor uh, Pete Romberg here uh, with some unfortunate news. Unfortunately, for reasons beyond our control and honestly beyond my ken, we've lost the second half of this episode. So, what you're gonna have here is uh, Martha and Caitlin and my discussion about um, the thing that's stuck in our head and an in-depth discussion of Gangs of New York. And then I was able to salvage a couple clips talking about our other two homework assignments, In Tournament and uh, Carnival Row. However, those aren't going to be the full fleshed out discussion that we had. Uh, we lost about an hour's worth of content, unfortunately. Um so sorry that this episode is a little bit of a, of a kludge on the back half and that we lost a lot of really good content and discussion. Uh obviously we're gonna have Caitlin on at some other point in the future, and hopefully at that point we might be able to rehash some of these ideas, or at the very least get a good solid conversation uh from her. So uh enjoy what we were able to salvage from the episode. Like Martha, are you gonna talk about Pokemon? I am not. Are you gonna talk about Mandalorian? I am. Okay, then I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> I, like, that was one of the things on my list.
1: Good evening and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. I am your co-host, Martha Sullivan, uh, resident Pokemon master, and I am here today, as always, with my other co-host.
0: I am Pete Romberg, and I am uh, terrified of seagulls. I, I recently saw The Lighthouse, which is a seagull revenge movie.
1: Oh, see, I was gonna say, that just shows, like, good sense, because seagulls are terrible.
0: Yes, they're the weird, imperious, floppy birds of the sea.
1: And will just straight-up steal your barbecue if you are not paying close enough attention.
0: They also might be like the souls of drowned sailors come back to to Earth, so, you know, that's a thing. I
1: I haven't seen the lighthouse, so I cannot comment. (laughs) We are joined today by return guest and friend of the podcast, Caitlin Flynn. Caitlin, thank you so much for coming back and joining us today.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me back on again.
1: Uh, Caitlin is here to help us discuss immigrants and refugees in post-9-11 American media. And I promise when I post this episode, we will have figured out a pithier title for the episode than that. Um, But before we get into it... Uh it is time for us to discuss what is stuck in our heads this week. What media or pop culture have we consumed since last we spoke that has uh lodged itself in our brains um and will not leave. Pete, would you like to start today?
0: Yes. Um I have gone through a an absolute desert of watching movies in the for for months i just like was not really consuming a whole lot of movies and in the past week i have watched three movies in a theater which is like kind of astonishing to me um nice as as mentioned earlier i saw the lighthouse which i thoroughly enjoyed but it's a classic wow this is not for everyone kind of movie um if you like surrealism and weird nautical things um and also not really understanding what's going on and that's kind of the point and very good visuals, you'll love it. Otherwise, don't see it, you'd hate it. Um, I also saw Parasite, uh, and most recently I saw Jojo Rabbit, which I very much enjoyed. Um, I think it, it's not a biting satire, but it is definitely a like clarion call for the importance and power of empathy and of like art and joy in life, which I feel is very resonant now, and especially uh, having just read in Tournament, um, it's not a companion piece at all, but like their ideas sort of speak to each other.
1: Uh, good, good pulling a me there, taking your one stuck in your head and using it to, to talk about three. three (laughs) (laughs) So I have not yet seen the lighthouse, but I can already tell you that my favorite thing about it is that Robert Pattinson is in it.
0: He's, I mean, there are two people in it and an angry seagull and, uh, both Robert Pattinson and, um, uh Green Goblin. Well wow, I'm blanking on his name. Willem, Willem Defoe. Defoe. <laughs> yes, Willem Defoe. Uh are incredible in it in very different ways.
1: Yeah, I I do like to remind people that Robert Pattinson made a lot of money in Twilight and since then has made a, the weirdest collection of films. Um and I'm glad to see that he's continuing that legacy.
0: He played the Dauphin in Netflix's The King, where he was in an entirely different movie than everyone else and was the best part of the movie. Uh, I
1: love it. Talking in a Pepe Pew French with... accent. <laughs> That's The King with Timothy Chalamet?
0: Yes. Uh, was it good? It, it was a grim, dour, sad war movie, and then two-thirds of the way through, Robert Pattinson came in doing a, you know, your you smell of cheese, your mother was a hamster, and your father smelt of elderberries accent, and was fantastic um Perfection. i have a lot of thoughts about the king i'm not going to get into them here
1: sounds good <laughs> um moving right along caitlin what is stuck in your head this week uh so as i mentioned before we begin the episode
2: i have um been watching a lot of uh kind of i don't know what you would call it but like comedy that i don't necessarily have to spend a lot of mental energy thinking about. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: feel good comedy? And
2: yes, feel good comedy. Um and i have stumbled across uh or stumbled upon Big Mouth a couple years ago on mm. Netflix and it is a very uh irreverent and raunchy uh show that was has been it was created by Nick Kroll, um John Mulaney, um i think Jordan Peele I'm not sure there's there's a group of comedians that got together and wrote this show for Netflix and it's animated and it takes place at a middle school and all the characters are the main characters are this group of like sixth graders going through puberty and they all have um, a subconscious like imaginary friend that is a hormone monster. So there's a you know a female hormone monster and a male hormone monster that kind of follows them around and kind of guides them through the many uh, trials and tribulations of early puberty. And uh, it is very uh, irreverent, but also uh, very, very intelligent with its humor as well. And I think that you know if this show is made 20 years ago, it would have been very, very different and given me a very different feeling. But, um, you know, it it kind of uh, pokes fun at a lot of our culture and the way that we relate to uh, sexuality and relate to puberty and growing up and all of that um, in a way that's very, very intelligent at times.
0: I forget love, big mouth. <laughs> Everything yeah, about like I, that show is great.
1: I have not watched it. Um, I admit I I saw a thing on Twitter, which is a sentence that never ever ever ends well. Um, about a fairly tone-deaf pansexual joke that they made with a character voiced by Ali Wong that made me kind of sad that they would make sort of a, a biphobic joke. Yeah. So Uh, that with, with that
2: subplot, um, what I, so the way that they treat um, people that are bisexual or pansexual in the show, they have a, one of the main characters is bisexual Um, We come to find out over the course of these now three seasons and um, they introduce, and he's male and um, they introduce this female pansexual character who explicitly says that she's like kind of the new girl. And she explicitly says that she's pansexual and um, her kind of, I don't want to say purpose because she does have like more, there's more to her storyline, but certainly in her introduction she is introduced as this um you know kind of uh, to juxtapose the um female experience versus the male when uh you know because when a kind of stereotypically when a woman comes out as bisexual um or pan people are you know very like oh that's cool like whatever or um they you know suggest that she should uh join that person and their partner for a threesome or that it's super hot that she's by at at best it's that's cool and at
0: worst it's that's hot
2: right exactly and uh for guys though um a lot of times you know people don't take them seriously people are like oh so you're just gay and you can't say it yet um a lot of uh women will will treat a bisexual man like he's just gay or, and a lot of gay men will treat a bi guy as, you know, uh, a closet case. Um, and this is, you know, obviously not uniform, but kind of stereotypically what you, um, have kind of seen in the past. And so the show really touches on that. And they spend a lot of time talking about that, which, um, I thought was pretty cool, but it does then, um, you know, it, it uses those jokes, those off color jokes, um, and really outdated jokes to kind of point that out.
1: Well, and I, like I said, I haven't watched it and knowing that they contextualize it in that discussion makes me feel better about it. Like I, um, yeah, I think that that's an important discussion to be having, particularly about, um, boys and men who are bisexual. Cause that, um, I, I have heard from the queer community, which I again am not part of. So I can only just sort of take what I am told. Um this is all very awkward. I'm glad they addressed that. <laughs> I didn't realize that they did. I'm glad that they do. That makes me feel better about wanting to watch the show. Right. Um, and absolutely
2: I would have had the exact same reaction as you if I had only seen a tweet about it, but I think you know, having seen the whole, um, story and seen this, uh, boys, uh, young man, boy, uh, his kind of journey and finding himself. And then, uh, when, you know, just as he's getting ready to come out and just as he's starting to tell people that he's bi, this new girl comes in and is like, Oh yeah, I'm pansexual. It's whatever. And, um, you know, I, I kiss boys and girls. It's, it's just, it's fine. Like, it's not a big deal. And all the guys are, like, salivating over her. And he's like, wait, what the hell? I just told you that I'm bisexual and you don't believe me. But then, you know, this girl walks in and, you know, she's the hottest thing since sliced bread. And um, that's kind of where that off-color joke comes in, where I think uh, Andrew, one of the, the main characters, I think he says something like, yeah, but it's hot when it's her or something like that and um yeah so in just in my experience like in my experience um you know i've um I, this is the first pan or bi guy that i think i've ever seen in media that's portrayed as um like an honest character um or like a like a positive portrayal
0: I, I haven't gotten to season three is it is it uh, Jason Mendoza's character? Yeah. Okay. Cool.
2: Yeah, I mean, once you once you start watching like the first season or two, like yeah, it's it's pretty, pretty obvious. Yes. Yeah. 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 But um, yeah, I think this is the first like positive representation of a buy man that I've seen, um, and which is, you know, unfortunate that this is the first time, and it's 2019, but also you know, kudos to Big Mouth to really, um, be using that that form of media in a way to kind of push boundaries and maybe make people have some accidental thoughts while they're eating their
1: popcorn and drinking their beer. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. If you would like to know how I feel about media being um, cagey about letting men identify as bisexual, you should all go listen to the love Ya episode where Marn and I talk about Alex strange love, which is a movie with a gay main character that I think would have been distinctly improved by letting him be bi anyway (laughs) um my stuck in your head this week uh i'm going to give a spoiler warning here for the first episode of the mandalorian so if you haven't seen it yet and you would like to remain totally unspoiled please skip ahead a couple skip ahead like a couple minutes um i I don't think that this is that big of a spoiler, but I'm certainly not going to speak for other people. So here is your official spoiler warning.
0: Apparently Disney thought it was a huge spoiler.
1: Um, Disney's just trying to create hype around that, it. That's
0: entirely the case.
2: It is gold that's... meme material, which is why they're doing it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So um, stuck in my head is baby Yoda. Woo-hoo. Who's so cute. I want to die. Just the best. Oh my God. Um, It's actually, it's a twofer Uh, So first of all, gonna back up Um, I was not that excited about The Mandalorian I don't care about Boba Fett This was not a, like, branch of the Star Wars universe That I was particularly excited about Um, The show is great I've watched the first two episodes at this point
0: I think those were the only two available right now
1: Yeah, I think that's correct Um, But the show is very Firefly by way of Jim Henson his, um, his ship
0: looks like serenity
1: yeah a little bit um but yeah the first episode discover ends with the the titular mandalorian played by pedro pascal and criminally not including his beautiful face um but yeah he's on a job and he realizes that his that the the target that he has been sent to find is a baby it's, it's not Yoda, but it is a baby whatever species Yoda is. Nobody knows because there have only been, like, two of them ever. Uh, and so now the show is Lone Wolf and Cub, only with the Mandalorian and a baby Yoda, who is a puppet and caused me physical distress in the first episode when I thought that he was going to be in danger. <laughs> I I found it distressing that I could not fling my body in the way of the danger (laughs) threatening this small puppet. So there is that aspect. There is also the aspect that Werner Herzog feels the same way about the Baby Yoda puppet. (laughs) (laughs) Which is bringing me continuous joy. (laughs)
0: Everything about Werner Herzog's involvement in this project is just like... You, you lift up one rock, and you find gold, and you lift up the next rock, and there's even more gold. Um, he was asked, if, yeah, he, like, he doesn't know who John Favreau is, which is just amazing.
1: Well, and he doesn't, I, I mean, he's never seen a Star Wars movie, right? Mm-mm. Or, like, is not nope. familiar with them? He
0: watches uh, Keeping Up with the Kardashians <laughs> and has never seen a Star Wars war.
1: <laughs> yeah. so he plays he plays an ex-imperial officer who hires the mandalorian to go find the baby yoda and in all of his interviews he's like i found the puppet heartbreakingly adorable
0: <laughs> i didn't know what, <laughs> words I w- what the words i was time. saying but i said them and it feels right <laughs> um can i just yeah.
2: say how devastating it is that there are only two
1: members of Yoda's race in the entire galaxy. Because well, to be now honest
0: there's
1: only, Now there's only the one because Yoda is dead at the point in which this movie well, or yeah, the show is happening. Probably dead too. Oh yeah, she dies during the um the bird. 66 yeah. or whatever. Yeah. 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 So which is devastating because I really want I really wanted
2: a spin-off of like whatever race yoda is like his planet and like can you imagine just like going into a little school of like all the like little baby yodas like a full class of them or like all of them like walking around like imagine what kind of society they would have had
0: it'd be the worst preschool because they're all apparently force sensitive and so you got a bunch of you know this yoda is 50 and is a baby so think about like a, a 20 year old who's like even more of a baby and And force sensitive and and causing the blocks to to fly around everywhere.
1: Yeah, there are just (laughs) there are so many so many amazing moments in this show. The baby rides around. Fiction. (laughs) The baby rides (laughs) around in a little hover stroller. He swallows a frog whole. It's (laughs) which
0: was uh, the most disturbing part of the show so far.
1: (laughs) It's amazing.
0: Um, My two thoughts on this are. One, uh, Daniel Kibblesmith tweeted that Baby Yoda's a girl, which is not canonical, but now I can't stop thinking that. Um,
1: well, I mean, like, we, we, don't, don't know, we, we don't know. know. They, just, they just call it the child. Right,
0: we don't know how many genders Yodas even have, so, uh,
1: yeah. I, bet they're, I bet they're like frogs.
0: To, uh, able to change sex in a single-sex environment, if my Jurassic yes. Park is accurate. Um, Correct. <laughs> uh, And my second thought is I want a Grizzly Man-esque documentary set on Dathomir about the witches riding Rancors narrated by Werner Herzog. Uh, Totally straight-faced. Oh my god, that'd be awesome. And also a, like, blue planet narrated by Attenborough with just, like, Star Wars planets. Like, Disney, you have all the money in the world. Do that.
1: Yeah, the last thing I will say is that the Mandalorian rides a thing called a blurg in the first episode, which my husband referred to as the angriest third of a (laughs) (laughs) do-back. Yes. (laughs) Which I loved and enjoyed and wanted to share with you all.
0: Excellent.
1: All right. We are going to take a quick recess. And when we come back, we are going to get into immigration in media. Music We are back. So, today we are doing a deep dive on media that deals with um, immigrants and refugees, specifically uh, post 9 11. So, like, what kind of has developed in our pop cultural environment um, in reaction to or in conversation with our country's attitudes about. Um, people from other countries and other backgrounds and, um, you know, their assimilation or lack thereof into our, uh, or into the popular culture, I guess. I feel like I'm saying culture a lot, um. But we have picked three, I think, pretty quality pieces of media uh, to talk about today. And I think, Pete, we are going to start with you. So why don't you give us an introduction to what you asked us to watch for this week?
0: Sure. So kind of on accident, this is the second week in a row, second episode in a row uh, that I have assigned a Martin Scorsese movie. Um, Relevant, seeing as he's in the news a lot right now. Uh, I picked uh, the 2002 film Gangs of New York which is uh, the main bulk of the movie is set in 1863 with the backdrop of the Civil War and the draft riots. It's in New York and it features um, sort of the conflict between the Irish immigrants who've been coming to New York uh, basically since forever, but in a big, meaningful way since, uh, you know, the 30s. Um, and then the nativists, uh, led by Daniel Day-Lewis as uh, the inimitable Bill the Butcher, um, who are opposed to the, you know, Papist hordes coming in from from Ireland and everywhere else. Uh, it's a long movie. It's a meandering movie. I think you could easily cut a, a fair amount of it, and and it'd be a, a perfectly good movie. Um, but it's well. I
1: mean, it's a it's a Scorsese movie. It's a Scorsese
0: so. movie, right? Um, but it's also a very uh, it's a romantic movie. Um, Scorsese said that when when he was like making this it's a lot about the battle for the future of democracy in America and what democracy is going to look like. Um, he said, uh, quote, this was the America not of the wild West with its wide open spaces, but of claustrophobia where everyone was crushed together. On the one hand you had the immigrants. On the other hand, there were the nativists. Um, and, and it's this idea of like block by block street by street, working out what democracy is. Ease and what it means to live together in a city. Um, it's a very New York movie, and it's a very sort of New York idea of immigrants. There's lots of conflict between immigrants and nativists, um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, the end sequence is somewhat saccharine and somewhat sad, but it's, I think, a positive portrayal of immigrants and a, a hopeful look of, of you know, that, that democracy having been built successfully um, which now in 2019, it almost feels like that's unraveling to a certain extent, not in New York necessarily, but, you know, in the country as a whole.
1: That's one way to read that ending.
0: I mean, that, that that's a, a way to read that ending, you know, 17 years after the movie came out.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, I felt that the ending was a very much like, and now we're all dead. <laughs> So it doesn't matter. Like, oh,
0: wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I entirely, th- I, I had a to total different to read, because, like, it's this whole idea of, oh, like, no, coming then... coming together. And, and you know, we, we, we build the bridge across the, the river, and, like, look, we build the skyscrapers, we build the towers, and it's New York, a city oh, of immigrants. I was, looking at
1: it, I was looking at it as, like, Bill the Butcher gets buried next to... Um, Leonardo DiCaprio's dad, and then everyone, for, like, the mm. city grows over the cemetery, basically, so it's like, it didn't matter that these two guys were so vitriolic against each other, like, at the end of the day no one's gonna remember who they are or where they were,
0: Right, and and, and also they still the...
1: have to, they still have to, like, be dead together.
0: Well, and the animosity, though, gets buried. It gets covered over.
1: Oh, I guess I saw it as more of a, like...
0: You, you saw it personal, no and I saw it, like, big scale
1: yeah like no one remembers your name so why does it matter
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, well, also, yeah I, hit... I sort of i sort of saw it as if i can if i
2: can jump in yeah um, yeah i sort of read it as kind of um you know uh just a kind of the beat goes on kind of thing right so th- these these men who were enemies and you know, we're, we're spending two and a half hours, um, following Leonardo DiCaprio, watching him try and wait for his moment of revenge against this guy. Right. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, they're both dead and they're both buried next to each other. And then the city grows over them. And I think that it kind of, for me, it signified that, uh, you know, this is one story of many, but This story is being told again and again and that Mm. um, you know there's there's always going to be new immigrants coming to new york there's always going to be new americans and um, you know the question i think is how do we as quote-unquote natives right um, react to those people that talk different that look different that you know, just came in on the boat, so to speak.
0: A, a bit of an idea, like, in 1860s, it was the nativists and the Irish, and then in 1950s, it's the sharks and the jets. And then in, in 2010, it's, you know, whomever and, and whomever.
2: Right, and I think that in... I was kind of trying to think of this also contextually in the time that it was made, too, right? So this was made, what, 2003?
0: It It was released 2004? in 2002, production kind of straddled 9-11 so uh initial production happened before 9-11 um and then but but it wasn't released until december 2002 um and they're doing pickup shots all the way up to like october 2002 um i also do have to preface that this is a but harvey weinstein movie um because it is a miramax film and he was a producer on it so that sucks but moving I on
1: actually that makes that makes me wonder when in the timeline of the movie that they filmed the ending
0: um, they shot it before, and they had the option to take the towers out, but Scorsese chose
1: not to. Okay, because I was going to say, I could see a world in which that ending was filmed as a direct response to Right nine eleven, like a, mm. you know, we will endure kind of deal. Yeah,
0: totally. Uh, I'm pretty sure... Yes, the, um, the the filmmakers considered having the towers removed from the shot that they'd already shot to acknowledge that they disappeared um, or removing the sequence altogether. I'm reading from Wiki right now, um, but it was ultimately decided to keep the towers in.
1: So, Pete, now that we have like skipped fully ahead to the, <laughs> to ending, the ending of this movie, mm-hmm. um, why did you, what made you think of this one?
0: So I I picked this movie cuz I wanted to look at how America has historically um addressed immigrants. I mean, obviously we're living through a, a time now of like rampant nativism. It's not even 2.0, it's like X.0 um cuz nativism has always been a streak through our history unfortunately. Um and this was to me the best example of a uh like a, a specific grappling with the idea of nativist and immigrants. Um also it, it is a, I think it at heart, it's a pro-immigrant movie. Uh, you know, Scorsese's uh, Italian himself grew up in New York. Uh, New York is kind of nowadays inherently a pro-immigrant like immigrant kind of city, um, or at least it's it's viewed that way. Um, and it definitely has that sort of, like, ethos, Bill the Butcher is, is the villain. Um, but it's also grappling with, like, real historical events in our past um it's also wrapped up in a lot of other like racial and class politics which is just you know perpetually useful you have uh, it's all set to the backdrop of the draft riot um uh, there's lots of interesting like just one-off scenes um that could be an entire uh you know essay about you know the irish coming off the boat signing up to join the union army and getting shipped down to you know kentucky or whatever uh um, so it's like there, there's a lot going on it was a time in america of a lot of flux for a lot of reasons
2: yeah i thought that that scene um where the people were getting off the boat and um you know that the irish immigrants were getting off of the ship and they were basically um you know there was a priest welcoming them and giving them a bible and then there was a a line for the the draft and or a line for the army and you know you could sign up right there and they'd put you back on a ship again to Mm -hmm. go down south to fight in the war and um you know it kind of showed you know these men lining up and saying you know oh when are we going to get our three meals a day you know are they going to feed us now and uh guys saying goodbye to their families and stuff like that and um there was a lot of little cutaway scenes like that kind of almost b-roll scenes that um i'm sure added i mean it seemed to me that they added quite a lot of time onto the movie you know the movie's what two hours and 45 minutes um okay. but i think they did certainly add to that feel of um, you know that that contextual like ambience of of what was going on
0: yeah and a lot of it i know is is scorsese kind of like he did a lot of research for this movie um all the various gangs named are actual gangs uh you know dug up in the records one of the shots is literally a recreation of a um famous photo of, of the time period um uh, going through the the back alley um and and you know same with the union army like there were lots of like like air brigades where it was like they only spoke gaelic in in this entire like you know regiment of the union army um and they fought under a harp symbol because uh, they're all like literally off the boat irish immigrants um so it's like that that's the kind of thing where like you could see it being the first thing cut but also it like caitlin you're saying it adds a lot of sort of that like texture to the movie
2: right because well, when we think of um sorry martha but you know when we okay. think of um you know irish immigrants we think of italian immigrants we think of immigrants that have kind of the the bulk of the the people that came over, um, came over many decades ago now, or even over a hundred years ago now, um, to America, and we kind of think of them as very assimilated. Mm-hmm. And I think to show this movie in 2002 and be like, oh, it's you know the Irish versus the the WASPy kind of um, you know low class white Anglo-Saxon Protestants of New York, whatever. And people are kind of like, okay, so like what's the difference between Leo DiCaprio and, and,
0: um, Bill,
2: Daniel D. Lewis. Bill, the butcher, Daniel D. Lewis. Thank you. Um,
0: one of them you know, is a rank papist. is the difference.
2: Right. And for, for us now in 21st century, that's not really that much of a difference, but back right. then it certainly was. And back then, you know, that, that otherness was, was very pronounced and they had, you know, what was it like 70 years later, they had official quotas, you know, um, I know that, I know that I personally, like my family has distant relatives that are living in Argentina now because they, they didn't make it under the quota when they went to New York. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's kind of a common thing in this, this um, putting that in perspective and putting that in context for the time, I think is, was a really great move by Scorsese.
1: Well, and I also I appreciate the enlistment scene because I think that's one of those that speaks very heavily um towards the attitude that America has towards immigrants. Like yeah. we may not like you, but we're we'll sure as hell use you.
0: And do the jobs the rest of us don't want to do.
1: Exactly. Or just like, like whether Or like you, you know, if wanna talk. be American, prove it. Mhm. Yeah. you know if we're talking about like enlisting soldiers to go fight in the civil war or employing Chinese railroad workers it's all that like dirty jobs send the send the foreigner in first Mm -hmm. Uh, and yeah I I do think it's important to remember that the Irish were treated as third class citizens for a really long time Yeah, um, just like Italians were uh, well, and this is
0: like pre-italian cuz you know go watch like godfather 2 for the italian thing that's 20 30 years after this where the irish have moved up a rung um and you see that beginning to happen in this with a uh, john c riley's character playing the cop like that's how that's how immigrants have moved up in urban areas you you come in off the boat and then you move into like you know cop and police and a, a firework and then you move on to like mid-level bureaucratic work um and and at this that point, it's still the case. It's still mostly Irish and Italian cops in a lot of major cities. Because um, that's like, that became the tradition.
1: Which I think is a point that we will want to keep in mind as we move on to our other homeworks.
0: Yes. Before we do that, uh, Caitlin, you brought up a really good point that I just want to flag, which is the fact that the nativists are all, in this movie, are all mostly lower class. Um there is a definite class dimension in this movie where you have, like, the draft riots and, um, you know, the the Vanderbilts and whomever living uptown. Uh, but then, like, Bill is living in the points. He's a butcher. Um, he's the, you know, the boss of his ward, but he's not, you know, hobnobbing it with the, the rich and mighty. Um, and I think that often nativism is a tool that is... is is used by the elites but the method of that like of their cudgel is to get non-elites to become their weapon to to be the actual like you know uh, 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 almost foot soldiers of the like anti-immigrant uh, group because it's that classic us versus them mentality of like they're going to come over and take your jobs which um you know doesn't impact the elites at all uh, but would definitely impact uh people like Bill the
2: Butcher. Right. And you know if I think it, it's something that's kind of created to create more rungs on the ladder, mm-hmm. so to speak. And mm-hmm. so, you know, if, if you've got other stuff going for you, you know, if you have the privilege of being upper class, then it really doesn't affect you how many Irish come over. Right. But if all you've got is the five corners, then you're going to want to hang on to that rung of the ladder with everything you've got. Right. Cause that's all that you got. Yeah. And, um yeah that's that's certainly um something that i think you know we see playing out now in our um in our current political climate
0: and unfortunately that's where the audio recording cut off and and the the files got corrupted Um, So what we're going to have next is I was able to recover some audio files, basically of things we were talking about either before the show started or um, during the break, things that uh, before the audio got all corrupted. Um, So the first one of these clips is going to be about uh, Caitlin and I talking about internment. Um, We had both just finished (laughs) reading the book right before we started recording, and we both really enjoyed it. So uh, take a listen to that. Um, full disclosure, I literally just finished internment, like, 15 minutes ago, so I have, uh, a lot of thoughts and feelings, um, which means I might run long on my thoughts on it, uh, but I will try to self-moderate.
2: Yeah, um, I finished about, like, a half hour ago now, Sweet. so we're in the same boat.
1: <laughs> yeah. I have
2: lots of feelings i went to the gym all fired up a couple hours ago <laughs> thinking like i need to just go and get these feelings out mm-hmm.
1: like <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: in a productive way instead of you know going through a brick wall <laughs> right which is never a good idea um
1: well thank you both for humoring me and reading a book i know we don't i know time is not always on our side but oh, some I of my thoughts
0: and, yeah like some of my thoughts and feelings on this are that it should be mandatory reading for every
2: high school kid so like Oh, absolutely. I was absolutely captivated by this book.
1: I'm so glad. I would say about three out of every four books that I make Pete read, he doesn't like.
0: (laughs) That's YA book specifically, but yes, that is true.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean,
2: I was very glad that it was YA because it did, like, it is so refreshing to go back to YA after trying to, you know, I'm still trying to soldier through Wheel of Time. Ooh! And... I'm like why? we we will
0: talk at christmas i'm sure now unfortunately we lost a lot of good content in terms of uh, carnival row and how it specifically deals with not only um refugees but also class and the idea of um, being able to to move on up and uh, passing um and similar topics uh, I was able to save a conversation uh, or uh, some ideas that Caitlin had about passing. That's going to come later in the episode. But first, I was able to save at least all of our thoughts about Carnival Row in general as a show. Um, so while this isn't the in-depth conversation about immigration and refugees that we uh, would necessarily want or that we actually got into, you're at least able to hear our thoughts about one of the homeworks. Um, I can't wait till we start talking about Carnival Row. Uh because that I had thoughts about that show as well.
1: Yeah. Um, Pete, was this the first episode of Carnival Row you'd watched?
0: Uh, well, I, I watched, I think, uh, so I haven't finished Carnival Row, but before it was assigned, I had watched uh, the first three or four episodes, and then I watched this fifth okay. one to, like, to get caught up, and then I kind of stopped after that.
1: Okay, but you had <laughs> actually seen an episode of this show before. I,
0: I really liked the first episode, and I really liked the flashback episode, um and then I felt like I was getting increasingly diminishing returns.
1: Oh see, I've only watched The Pilot before this episode because I didn't like it. Oh, okay. I was like, this this show is taking itself way too seriously for a show where everybody's name sounds like someone got really high and tried to write a Tolkien fanfic.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I felt you. like <laughs> it was it was trying to like the the show like, was I trying to be five different, different shows. It. It's like, give me a cool Jack the Ripper show, or give me a cool, like, fairy war show, or give me, like, fairy politics show, but don't give me, like, all of those together.
1: I did think that the fifth episode was more fun than the first episode. I just, the first episode, I was like, guys, you can, you can, you don't have to take yourself this seriously. Like, I get it. I get that you're dark and gritty, and people are dying, and there are boobs, but we can we can relax maybe just a little (laughs) i want that written on like a (laughs) t-shirt it's dark it's gritty
0: there are boobs but we can relax
1: (laughs) yeah can that be like the episode screen cap like you know sometimes they'll do like quotes
2: yeah it's dark it's gritty there's boobs yeah um okay so just to just to make sure i did get assigned the right episode um we or at least that we covered this in episode five um Do they discuss Philo's um, wings at all? Yes. Okay, cool. I just want to make sure that that is covered because, obviously,
1: because you know, when we talk about passing, and I was gonna say I have about eighteen hundred thoughts on (laughs) the idea of passing.
0: (laughs) I yeah. Talking about Carnival Row, even right now, I've got the wiki up because when you were like, "Did we talk about Philo's wings?" I'm like. I'm pretty sure Philo is Orlando Bloom's character's name, but honestly, I was calling him Orlando Bloom the whole time in my head, so... Well, and
1: I, read, <laughs> I couldn't get I read over two... the fact that it was him. <laughs> I read two recaps, one which referred to him as Philo and one which refer- referred to him as Rycroft, hmm. and I definitely had a moment of, wait...
0: <laughs> Apparently his name is Rycroft uh, Philostrati, which, first off, A-plus name, second, second off, insane well, name.
1: It... It would be an A-plus name if everyone's names weren't like that.
0: Vignette Stone Moss? I'm, I'm looking at the wiki yeah. page right now. That's give how I know me, this.
1: Give me a George. <laughs> give me a Daniel. There's an like, Ezra. On, yeah.
2: I think there's not enough difference in the names between the two, between the fairies and the humans. Because like, yes. when I yes. think of fairies, I think of like a... Flippity Jibbit a vignette stone moss or a ryecroft uh whatever however you say it yeah and um you know for all of these people to have these very like fantasy sounding names it's like
0: like jared harris you're not
2: creating enough of a difference between these two races right me, like from a literature like linguistic standpoint but yeah i i personally like i wanted to assign it like Pretty much as soon as I watched it, I was almost like, I think I did actually email you guys like maybe a day or two after I watched it um, because I was like, I have a lot of feelings about this and I don't know how to process them all. So why not talk about them on the podcast? (laughs) And I'm also very like, I'm not sure if I like it or not because I I do think it takes itself way too seriously and they do try and fit so much into the the TV show like I think think everyone's trying to be like the next Game of Thrones and they just end up trying to shove so many plot points down our throats that it's hard to pay attention to any show anymore that's like trying to be the least bit serious like for me I have been watching a lot of um, comedy and a lot of like episodic comedy shows um, just because it's easier to turn my brain off and just watch and enjoy myself as opposed to, you know, a lot of this stuff that I really, I used to enjoy quite a bit. But now they're trying to put so much in there that it's, I almost have to watch everything twice to pick it all up.
0: You yeah, know? yeah. Well, as promised, the next conversation we have is about passing. Uh, this is specifically about Carnival Row. It then sort of uh, went elsewhere. Um, Caitlin ends up talking about internment in this uh, little snippet. Um, but the uh, the topic came up because it is revealed in Carnival Row that Orlando Bloom is a half-fairy. Uh, his wings were cut off in childhood, which means that he was able to pass as a human his entire life. Other uh, fae in the show are unable to do so. Um, there's fawns who look very different. Um, so this is a conversation that sort of used that as a launching point to then talk about, um, passing in the context of internment and specifically the character, David, uh, we we talk at the end that we're going to have Caitlin repeat all this for the episode proper. Uh, but I'm very glad that she actually uh, brought it up initially, uh, during our off episode time, um, so that we're actually able to save it and use it.
1: I mean, that- I think the only other topic that I think we want to make sure that we get to is the question of um, passing privilege, yes, mm. and Absolutely. how how people with passing privilege deal with um, like, and I I don't know how much we can talk about that because we're all white people and our media only like sort of superficially touched on it
0: i think gangs Um, has white on white passing privilege sort of in there to a certain extent
1: and internment mentions that there are white and white passing people in the camp (laughs) so it it at least kind of addresses um the this question of like these are the people who chose not to um not to lean on their privilege.
2: Well, what I thought was interesting about internment was uh, the the case of David, and how he is a person of color who, um, whose family was in the Holocaust, who lost a lot of his family to the Holocaust, and uh, many of his his relatives were refugees from Yemen, I think. Mm-hmm. He's and on his mother's so side. He, right. So he has this this very, um, you know, long his not long, but, you know, um, much of his family has this history of, um, survival, right? And I think that it's, uh, from what I've heard from, uh, you know, Jewish friends and, and people in my life that are Jewish, there's this, uh, pride in that survival and this pride in being able to endure and, um, you know, despite, all of the oppression that they have endured over the centuries they are still who they are and they still have their communities and um i think it it was really fascinating for me to see his storyline and how he um kind of takes for granted that um you know he can um cross the the picket line so to speak and kind of take for granted that, um, you know, he can put himself in danger to help Layla, but, um, also, you know, doesn't quite understand the consequences. Cause I think that, um, for him, the, the resistance and surviving has been almost romanticized a bit. At mm. least this is, I suppose maybe what I'm projecting onto his mental thought process. Um, which, I mean, so, I can certainly save this for the, for the episode, but...
1: I was going to say, Caitlin, just so you know, I'm going to have you repeat everything that you just said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. And this last uh, exchange is about um, sort of how all three media work together. We're trying to figure out the order in which we would go through our homework uh, discussions. And in doing so, we sort of were talking about how they were in dialogue with each other and how they each sort of looked at um, immigration and refugees to America through slightly different lenses um, and and sort of like different facets of um immigration and refugees. So uh, enjoy this last little bit of dialogue.
1: I feel that it is like, I feel like genre based media about this is a different, a slightly different beast than like historical or
2: more realistic. Yeah. Like there's,
1: there's more of a through line for me going from gangs of New York to internment to carnival row.
0: Sure. I'm I'm very I cool with that. I, I think, like, Gangs of New York and Internment are definitely, like, not in conversation with each other, but there is definitely conversation. Like, they, they are the opposite sides of, like, America's idea of immigrants, I think. Um,
1: yeah, it's like Gangs of New York is the kind of media that we use to process our past. Internment is the kind of media that we use to process what's happening right now. And Carnival Row is, like processing themes through escapism Mm -hmm. fiction almost Mm -hmm. i like that yeah yeah cool also gangs of new york i feel like is
2: harkens back to the time that we when we talk about immigrants coming to the united states a lot of us a lot of politicians and a lot of you know people in conversation will talk about people coming to America around that time, right? In the late 19th century, mid to late 19th century, early 20th century. And how now, like, you know, they came with $3 in their pocket. and Now look at them and, you know, now look at me like their grandson or whatever. And
0: it's, it's the aspirational idea of the American dream.
2: Right. And the reflection of that piece of media against internment and how, you know bill the butcher was a american he didn't like the people coming over at that time and now you know the americans in internment don't like the the people that don't look like them either and how they the the things that they those characters both say are very similar
0: yeah and unfortunately that's all we were able to salvage um it's a shame because i think both martha and caitlin would agree that it was a really good conversation um as you kind of glean from here uh, all three of us really really liked internment unfortunately i just wasn't able to salvage enough of that discussion um but i i you know i said it then i'll reinforce it now i do think it should be uh, given to every high school student um, and even some college students as as required reading. So uh, not trying to give it short shrift. Just literally can't find enough uh, you know content in these files to talk about it. Um, so that is unfortunately going to do it for this week's episode. You can find the show on the internet at Twitter at dydyh podcast and on Instagram at the same place at dydyh podcast. You can follow us on uh, Facebook by searching for. Did you do your homework? Did you do your homework podcast? Um, those will both get you there. You can shoot us an email to show at homeworkpodcast.com. Um, since you're listening to this, obviously, you know that you can uh, listen to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere else fine podcasts are found. Uh, just go ahead. And if you would be so kind, give us a like and a review or um, send us on to a friend. As always, part of your homework for next week is to tell other people about the show. Um, You can follow Caitlin on Instagram at cgflynn9. Um, You can follow Martha on all the social medias at Magical Martha, and you can also subscribe to her tiny letter, uh, which is also at Magical Martha, I think. Um, And you can follow me on Twitter at pico3000, P-I-K-O, 3,000. Um, since you're already hopefully subscribed to this list, you you already know that on every other Wednesday uh, is the show Love Ya, which is uh, with my wife Marin and Martha talking about some Netflix uh, YA rom-coms. Um, so, that is going to be coming out next week. They're talking about uh, uh, Dublin, um, which was one of the, the early ones that sort of launched the, the reinvigoration of, of YA uh, uh, rom-coms on um, Netflix and on streaming. Next episode for us, we're going to be talking just Martha and I about our top 10 movies of the decade. Uh, we're recording this around Thanksgiving, so it's sort of a, a less homework, no guest, uh, nice episode as we slowly uh, work our way into uh, the holiday season. So uh, no homework except for to enjoy the holidays uh, and enjoy what you're able to hear from this episode. Until then... Class dismissed.